Welcome to the 21st Century Schizoid Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Cooper Cherry, and tonight we have the pleasure of having Asaf Ronan of the Institution Theater. Um, it's a theater here in Austin that specializes in courses involving improv comedy, um, et cetera, et cetera. I've actually taken some classes here myself, so I uh, have a lot of love and respect for the theater and what you guys have got going on. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to participate. So let's let's talk a little bit about your background. Like, what what got you into comedy? What got you into improv? What's your background as far as as that goes? Uh, um, it started way back in college. I came into comedy from a writing background. I used to write a lot as a kid: stories, short stories, plays poetry. I actually won some regional competitions in poetry, oh, things nice. like that. So I was always a creative guy and I would I would make my own comic books and uh, do all sorts of things like that. And uh, in college I met up with some folks and we were all fans of Whose Line Is It Anyway, the original one. We just decided, well, why don't we try playing some of the games? And that was the whole start of it, right? And so... <laughs> It was a lot of uh, self-taught improvisation and acting along the way. I'd never really right. acted prior to that either. Gotcha. Um, but we were all having fun, and as long as we were having fun, it was fine. And, and I got more and more serious about it as it went along. And I was back in New York, so um, <clears throat> I expanded a little bit. And when, I mean, we were just performing on campus at first, and then eventually we ventured out into real, quote-unquote, real stages. <laughs> And I don't know. I've just been hooked on it ever since. That was 26 years ago. Nice. So, well, tell me a little bit more about the poetry, because you know I'm kind of a I'm kind of a literature uh, aficionado. So I'm. How so? I just, I mean I majored in English. I've always been. So did like, I. I. I love poetry. I mean I'm like the English Romantic period. That's kind of my jam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like Coleridge and Wordsworth and uh, Shelley. Blake. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love Blake. Gerard Manley Hopkins. Ah, uh, does he? I can't remember. Does he fit in there? Uh, he's close. So. It's close. I think it's so. close. Um, yeah, I, I was an English literature major, not a graduate, but a major while I was there in writing. I was a writing dual dual major. Right on. And uh, I love the I love words, and that was my that's always been my main thing in improv. I. I love crafting words. I love how things get phrased sometimes and how the phrasing tells you so much about the person uh, who's telling a story, not just the story that they're telling. And, uh, but I know literature programs, you, you go, you have to do a lot of prerequisites, right? right? You have to do a lot of survey courses. And I had to read too many things that I didn't <laughs> care about, right? Like Dickens. I don't, I don't want to read Dickens. Dickens is a beating. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No doubt about it. I've really, I have a hard time reading any of that, even stuff from in the early, like early 20th century oh, writing. That's gets, my jam. Gets a little bit like, uh, I don't know if I can, because I kind of cut my teeth on like Kurt Vonnegut mm-hmm. and then like kind of like Chuck Palahniuk and that stuff where it's real kind of snappy, you know what I mean? So when I'm going back and reading this really, you know, descriptive, you know, describing all the what the mm-hmm. room looked like, et cetera. So I kind of get bogged down. I get bored with that. I like that really kind of concise style, that kind of Hemingway influence. But yeah, I mean, I like Hemingway. I like Kafka. I love Raymond Carver. 
Raymond Carver is just my favorite fiction writer. Um, things like that. So, yeah, and, and but poetry was easy. You know, poetry was short. I, <laughs> I was very much, I was a very creative kid, but I also just wanted to, I was very prolific, so I just wanted to output, output, output. And so poetry just allowed me to just pour it all out very quickly in short right. bursts. And then improv is even shorter bursts, frankly. You kind of just step on the stage and just let it all pour out. And that was initially what hooked me about it, just writing on your feet, right? Um, but what do you want to know about the poetry? What can I, I tell just, you like, about? What, like, what was your style? Like, what, was this kind of like free verse, blank verse, or like, like, or even like what age were you when you were? I was very influenced by E. e. Cummings. Okay. Um, but not with as much of the fucking around with punctuation and stuff that, that he did. But it was very, it was very observational poetry. The one that I won a lot of reward, uh, awards with, and I actually won money. And uh, at one point I got Earl Hyman to read my poem as part of the thing. Earl Hyman played the grandfather in Cosby Show. Uh, and gotcha. so it was like, oh, that wow, there's a like, voice too. He has an amazing right. voice. And he read my poem, which was from the perspective of a young child who's rebelling uh, by drinking uh, milk from the carton. That was basically the poem. It was called Milk. It started, Mom always said, never drink orange juice from the carton, but she never said nothing about milk. And that was the start of the poem. It was just the feeling of rebellion in the form of <laughs> uh, the taste of this milk and the, the coldness of it and all that. That's what the poem was. Just this very little, I, I liked doing little snapshots That's in cool. poems. And I think... Uh, that's always what's intriguing of like being in the moment, which also connects to improv. Improv is very much being in the moment. Uh, yeah, and how sometimes the most superficial things can have the deepest subtext. Very cool. I really identify with what you said about, I call it being a word nerd. I mean, mm -hmm. I like, I pick up on that stuff. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's even not, a, not only just the words themselves but i think a, a lot with accents mm -hmm. i love accents and just i mean that kind of stuff just i don't know i'm fascinated by it um i mean i love doing accents I'm, <laughs> do you oh yeah oh yeah I, I might let some slip i let them slip every once in a while what's your favorite accent to do oh right now the irish accent especially with the connor oh. the connor mcgregor fight no, have I you mean, seen any of the no i <laughs> haven't like, so he's right. he's like uh, and man, it's it's so like WWF level the right. promotion for this fight that he's doing with Mayweather, mm -hmm. and he's like, "All right, they've got a crowd assembled, and he's got Mayweather there, and he's like, all right, everybody in the count of three, say fuck the Mayweathers, mm, fuck the Mayweathers." <laughs> and the like, "Fuck the Mayweathers." Honestly, <laughs> I I love Irish accents, and there's lots of different. There's the more uh, rounded, more uh, rural. Irish accent, right? From the more like the Galway places. Right. And then there's the more punctuated Dover kind of accent, right? And then there's Dublin, which is more of the, the, the closed lipped, right? So there's all these different sounds <laughs> in such a small country. Oh, I love accents. It really, it's so fun to figure out. And like you're describing, is like those little subtleties and how you shape mm -hmm. the sounds with the tongue, the mouth, the lips. You know what I mean? It's just so interesting. And like, 
for example, like the Scottish accent. It's very, it's ah, like right. the claw. It's like claw in the throat. Yeah. It's like ah, great, exactly, right. <laughs> shite, great. Uh, yeah, I, I used to do this test on improvisers because improvisers like to do accents. They like to fuck around with accents. But I had this theory that I tested on a number of people, which I would have them improvise a character in a certain accent. They would do. I would I have them pick their favorite accent. You know, so they would say British. They would say Russian, and they would do their Russian character. And I was like, great. Now give me a different Russian character. And then I would see how many different Russian characters can they do before they break. Because sometimes improvisers, like certain things just become defaults in improv. And so like if they do a, a Russian character, tends to be very brusque, right? You know, always angry. Like, they can't do happy Russian characters. <laughs> very true. Right? Or the Irish is always sing song. He's always very happy. Like, <laughs> you know, it's very, you know, so they, they limit themselves when they decide to do that. That's so true because when I think, I'm think, sitting here thinking that that's kind of what, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't really have a range, very much range with the characters mm-hmm. in terms of the single accent. I mean, I can do like different characters across accents, but it's very, it's very much, I'm going to have to think on that one. Right. Because I mean, as a little kid, did you ever like just practice accents in the front of the mirror? I literally, I fucking did that. <laughs> no, I never, like, I was very expressive on the page, not expressive out of my mouth. Right. So I never had any thoughts of becoming an actor or, or being in the performing arts at all. I just liked creating things. I was a latchkey kid. I was not I was socially awkward. I didn't have very many close friends. And so I was very reclusive and it was just it would just be me and a sketch pad or a notebook and just like that. And yeah, it's a, it's it's after college that I started expanding into all these other performance ideas. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I remember I would do like some kind of I don't know, even know some kind of vaguely Brooklyn Bronxy accent. I'd be like in the mirror, like talking to myself, hey, "You fucking bastard!" Yeah, yeah. You Forget know. about it. That's more Jersey, <laughs> right? But, so, but yeah, <laughs> forgive me as a Texan. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. No, no worries. Um, but yeah, it's fun to explore, and we actually. So one of the troops they used to perform with here in Austin is Confidence Men, and we would do improvised plays in the style of David Mamet. And that, that would allow us to get into a lot of... Because Mamet's about rhythm. It's about words, it, the rhythm of words. And so accents would allow me to like slip into different cadences and stuff like that. I once did a Mamet play as a Japanese character that was a lot of fun, <laughs> or a Russian character. So, yeah, I love... I love sounds. I do too. I do too. Um, yeah, it's funny. Let's see. I think the Irish accent really started. I watched the show Preacher. Mm-hmm. Are you into that at all? Did you oh, re- yeah. Did you read the comics? Yes. Nice. I'm like, I just got back into comics probably about a year ago because I grew up on kind of that X-Men era. Oh, yeah. Like the late 80s, early 90s. That was my stuff. And then... Me too. Once I, I I got into Daredevil, Spider-Man, mostly. Once I hit puberty, I kind of dropped out of that world, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so I got back in because I remembered there was this one Age of Apocalypse Mm -hmm. 
arc. Did you, are you familiar with that at all? Sure. Nice. So yeah, it was like I bought the Age of Apocalypse omnibus. It's like a giant hundred dollar like 10 pound book that's crazy it's like 50 issues 50 yeah. individual issues basically and so that kind of spurred me on and man i've gone down the rabbit hole with kind of the more adult content i haven't jumped into preacher the books yet yeah. i'm waiting because i want to because i feel like different from the series yeah because i feel like if i if i delve into the books now the show will be ruined right mm -hmm. it, i feel like to some degree so i want to appreciate the show while it's doing its thing and then I will absolutely go back and, and yeah. do the and do the books for sure. I mean, I not only grew up on comic books, I feel like I learned a lot from comic books. I learned how to read from comic books. Uh, I learned an appreciation of visual arts from comic books from that. I was an art minor. I was an English major because I appreciated words and stories. And comic books are just modern day mythologies, right? Just like uh, back, you know, in, in, in early civilization, how they used mythologies and, and gods to kind of explain things they didn't understand. I feel like comic books is mythologies that's projecting possible futures, right? We're looking at the atomic age and what that might lead us to. Or uh, molecular science would lead to things like the atom and flash and all this stuff. Um, or the nuclear age brought up a lot of ideas of superheroes. Yeah, like so, the X-Men even. Yeah, exactly. So that's basically what it is in mythologies, and it really it, it made me really appreciate stories and stories around characters and dilemmas and uh, things of that nature. And I think that's why I got into writing and why I got into drawing. So I would draw a lot when, like I said, I made my own comic books. And then that led me to improv, which led me to the life I have here in Austin. Right. Um, <clears throat> what I love about comics is, I mean, for one, I'm also kind of a film guy, too. So, oh. I mean, storyboard, you know, I mean, that's kind of like vis visual storytelling, right? It's kind of like mm -hmm. almost going to film school. If you read enough comic books, you can kind of learn elements of that, right? Right. But I also feel like they set my imagination on fire mm -hmm. with the possibilities of, you know what I mean? Because it's like, and especially the more kind of surrealist, the kind of more far out stuff like uh, like Grant Morrison's work, right. like Doom Patrol or something like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's crawling from the wreckage. Yeah, yes. that stuff just gets my mind thinking on a whole different wavelength of creativity that I never even conceived. It's like it opens up like I it kind of opens up that door to a whole new thought process. Yeah. What I love about Grant Morrison and what he opened me up to, especially as an artist, is all the different places that he would pull reference from. The fact that he had a whole story arc that was inspired by Dadaism, right? And who's doing that in comic books, right? right? Or his uh, version of Animal Man, where he starts to get into this meta theory stuff that's just really weird or like or how he introduces things like quantum theory in in, uh, in some of his stories and that really like showed me oh there's so much out there in the world to pull from it's, right. it's very easy to you see that we used to see that I think a lot in TV where it's just like certain ideas would just kind of regurgitate themselves it's like oh that show is because 
Lost was so success successful, and now they're creating their own Lost uh, type show or things like that. And sometimes we've got to reach outside of the medium that we're in if we're really going to expand the medium, right? So that's I actually get very inspired. My my improv is very cinematic based because I'm, I'm I love I love movies. Oh man, me too. Oh. <laughs> I used to, I, I would go to movies a lot by myself. Do you go to movies by yourself? I will, you know, if it's something that I really want to see. I have no problem doing it. Where do you sit? Uh, I, you know, I try to kind of sit in the middle-ish. You know, I like the third or fourth row. I like if I don't see the edges of the screen. Okay. Um, uh, there's a term, I think it's hypersexuality. I think that's what it is, where I would step out of movies and I would be still in the mindset of that movie. So if I would watch like a thriller, like after I leave, my heart is still beating and I feel like I'm still in a thriller type moment, right? Or a romantic comedy. If I step out of that, I've kind of like, like I get deeply affected oh, I do too. by really well done movies to where I carry it outside the theater. Oh, I absolutely do. I mean, I feel like I get super immersed, like crazy like a crazy level of disconnection or whatever from reality mm -hmm. when i'm i mean i really sink myself into that story i can really just kind of like put myself in that world and just be totally immersed in mm -hmm. it and i just it's whenever you find that that movie or that tv show that really just grips you man ah mm -hmm. oh, that's just it's so satisfying to me yeah what if uh what have you been watching lately? What's really kind of got your attention? As far as movies, last, TV? Me, movies, TV, because I feel like, for me, a lot of the prestige television has taken over that role that kind of movies have kind of fallen off to some degree. Right. Um, in TV, anything that's Noah Howley. So uh, Fargo is very much a oh, love. Oh, Fargo is great. So well done. And such a visual show. Legion just re reinvented how to do a comic book story. Um, those are things that I watch. Um, I'm watching Twin Peaks, and I've finally come to a point where I'm enjoying Twin Peaks. <laughs> it was about nine episodes. I was intrigued by the series. Right. But it wasn't until like nine episodes in where I felt like I was enjoying it, and I think part of it is like, oh, I've gotta, I've gotta be okay with this ceasing to be a TV show every once in a while, right? right. Things like that. So, uh, I really enjoy that. Better Call Saul is the best dramatic series on right now. Uh, the Americans is brilliant. Uh, the series Dear White People on Netflix is some of the best character dialogue and best uh, attacking of a theme from all different sides. It's so well-rounded. It's incredible. Those are things I, I really enjoy. And then in the movies, uh, I really love what Edgar Wright does. I really love Wes, Wes Anderson, what he does uh, with movies. Um, I'm a comic book fan, so I really enjoy what the MCU is doing, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, uh, I wish DC would learn more from it. Um, but it's kind of amazing to be in a place where the things that I love about comic books, seeing it just... Like, do you remember Splash Pages? Oh, yeah. 
early 90s. Like, you know, just when you open up and there's that big fight sequence and you see two characters fighting in the foreground and then you have another two characters fighting in the middle ground and then there's this aerial fight happening all in the same picture and when that airport battle happened in Civil War it was like oh shit <laughs> we're walking through a splash page right now <laughs> right I mean that that was phenomenal to me that was like every boyhood joy just coming up all at once um yeah so those are the things i really get jazzed about i definitely i really enjoyed uh legion thought that was great kind of a, like you said really interesting take mm-hmm. on the whole situation and that, that sh- i had to like i remember watching that in my room mm-hmm. some scenes with the uh, i guess the shadow king where he was that kind of yellow-eyed demon mm-hmm. man it was like I had to turn the lights on. <laughs> it's like I, I can't watch this by myself in my room because it was just creeping me out. And uh, Aubrey Plaza as well was phenomenal in that yes. role. But so as a literature guy, you've got to appreciate uh, stories where you can't trust the narrator, the protagonist. Exactly. You can't trust them to tell you what's actually going on. And they walking that line that's a really hard line to to walk definitely um and noah holly once again he does an amazing job of it so i'm actually working on um another guest for the podcast his name is mark bristol he's a uh, storyboard artist Mm -hmm. has worked on so many amazing projects Uh i mean this guy he's he worked on like dazed and confused right uh but he also i don't know if he did I think he probably just did maybe one episode of Legion, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure to, like what the extent of that his involvement is, but you know, sometimes they'll even have him do just like a certain sequence mm-hmm. storyboarded out. Because I had actually interviewed him in the past, and we talked about he worked with Christopher Nolan on Memento. Ooh. When you're talking about unreliable narrator, that really kind of jogged mm-hmm. my memory there. So he... I don't know if you remember that beginning sequence with that photograph. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it starts out. So he did the story. He worked with Christopher Nolan on the storyboarding for that opening. Mm-hmm. Really? Which I thought was really cool. So uh, I'm super excited. I'll have to let you know. Yeah, definitely. Once I get him on. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to kind of pick his brain. Because he also worked with like uh, Terrence Malick and even like Mimi Leader whenever they did the... Uh, so these are real auteur types. Yeah, seriously. I mean... Right, which... The kind of people that I feel would probably be hardest to take their ideas <laughs> right? and create visual representation of that, it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm kind of, I'm really curious. Like, all these super, you know, like you're saying, auteur people mm-hmm. and how to translate their vision and, like, what that relationship's like and, like, how much input you have as, an, as the storyboard artist, you know what I mean? Right. So that'll be cool to find out. Yeah. Like, tapping into that vocabulary. Right. What about uh, going back to comics? Are you are you reading anything lately that that's really piquing your interest? Um, not too much. Comics are too expensive to keep track of, so I get the graphic novels. I get the little oh yeah. So, Saga is brilliant. Um, uh, Nailbiter is one that I've been getting into lately. It's a horror comic, 
which I never thought I would get into a horror comic because I'm not a horror guy. Yeah, I'm not either, but I think you those know? are some of the best, or at least what's considered horror within that yeah. graphic novel genre. You know? Yeah. There was this one, uh, I forget, Grant Morrison recently put out a horror comic, and I tried to read it, and I couldn't get into it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I love epics. So Saga is very epic. It's very huge. I mean, it takes place multiple worlds, you know, multiple races coming together. And so that's why I love, um, like, some of my favorite movies are, uh, like, uh, Terry Gilliam's Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which is very epic, and Royal Tannenbaums, which feels very, like, larger than itself, right. larger than life, you know? Um yeah, like I love Wes Anderson does things like, um, you know the movie Royal Tenenbaums, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, big fan. There's a scene where Gene Hackman is talking with his valet outside, like he's making a plan with them. And it takes place in, they shot in New York, and they shot it on the river, and the valet is standing in a way where he's completely blocking out the Statue of Liberty. So you have this very New York location, but with the most New York aspect of it removed to make it feel like every city. Right. Right? And it does that in a bunch of moments in the movie of, like, here are these little elements that feel New Yorkish, but it's not New York. Right. So it's relatable, but foreign all at the same time. And I kind of love moves like that. That's very interesting because... You know, not being a, a native New Yorker, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I really can't picture, like, I really have a hard time placing the setting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It almost, it does, I kind of almost got the sense of like a, a London almost, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, from the setting there. So I think that's a pretty cool point. Yeah. Um, but in terms of comics, I've, so, and stuff that's new, you should check out. You would probably love this. Is the DC has rebooted like all the Hanna Barbera properties? <laughs> and they're, Seriously? Yes, and they're fucking great. They're oh. great. Uh, like the, they have the Flintstones is now kind of like a satire of modern living, which is just oh man. So it's one of the funnest reads that I've had in forever. It's hilariously lampoons. Oh. It's great. Um, but they've also got like Scooby Doo is like set in the post. There's a post-apocalyptic Scooby-Doo. There's like Dick, Dick Dasterly and Muttley are getting their own kind of spinoff. But they have wacky races going on, and like I think even Garth Ennis is going to do the uh, really? the spinoff with Dick Dasterly and Muttley. Oh my god! Um, but so that's that's something that's pretty new. That I, they've released one of the trade collections for mm -hmm. those, and I think the next one will be coming out mm -hmm. later on in the fall. But on to kind of like the horror genre. Um, Grant Moore, uh, not Grant Morrison, fuck. Um, Alan Moore is yes. new, has done Providence, which is kind of based on the Cthulhu and the Lovecraftian uh -huh. mythos. Okay. And it's so well done. Sometimes it goes a little too deep. <laughs> it's pretty... It's Sometimes it gets lost in the references. Right. Right? I'm sure there's stuff that's like, you know, you could probably like annotate the shit out of that All book. Right. Um, what there was I, a time when he did America's Best Comics. He had these series of books, and one of them was Promethea, uh, which was this 
woman suddenly gets embodied by a goddess, I think. Um, but at a certain point, the comic book stopped being a narrative arc and became more a, like, uh, a, a class in world religions. <laughs> you know, and it's like, <laughs> right. like, all right, Alan, I understand you're jazzed about this stuff, <laughs> but maybe we need to get back to this. But still, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, one of the best. That's my favorite superhero team in a comic. God damn it. <laughs> the fucking movie. Boy, they were they didn't understand anything about what made the comic book so good and they fucked it up so bad. So bad. So oh bad God. that I've never even watched it. <laughs> oh god, don't. Uh Unless you're drinking, <laughs> drink. Like, uh, give yourself a fifth of whiskey at least to get through that shitty movie. Oh my god, it's so bad. Anyway, okay. It's like, it's the thing that I think they need to remake. They keep remaking movies that were good to begin with. They need to remake movies that were bad right. and make them better, that had something to them, but they were totally fucked up. And that would be the first one that I think they should do. <laughs> Remake League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with a much better uh, storyline. With a much, yeah. God damn it. I, I definitely read, I read the first couple of issues of Promethea, but I it just didn't, I had a hard time getting into it. Uh, but to go back to this Providence, what I think is really fucking cool about this, mm-hmm. and it goes to that uh, kind of unreliable narrator that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. is... So you have the comic, right? So the panels, and then at the end of every issue is the main character's journal. Mm-hmm. So, and it also includes, sometimes they'll find like a flyer or something like that. So it'll be included, things like that. But his journal entry will go back and kind of juxtapose to like the panels themselves. Mm-hmm. And really it's kind of a cool, it's kind of a cool situation there with you know, comparing what actually happened to what he's, you know what I mean? He's in his journal. He's like convincing himself that, oh, this didn't happen or that I would, you know, I, I must've been tired. He's like trying to convince himself that these crazy mm-hmm. things didn't happen. All right. Kind of an interesting narrative twist, I think. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm currently working on a novel. Oh man. I'm starting to write a novel. tentatively called marbles and it's, uh, imagines a world where um, mental illnesses are misdiagnoses of abilities. So there's a character who was diagnosed with Tourette's, but it's learned that he's pulling thoughts from other people's heads. All the things he's blurting are things that people okay. around him are thinking. Or there's a schizophrenic who it turns out that he's talking to dead people. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, and what happens when you've been ostracized all your life, and then you realize that this is the truth? This, you have this power. What happens? And uh, it's being—I'm writing it in the multiple first person, like a like Faulkner's "As You Lay Dying." I right. get the different. Each chapter is a different character's okay, perspective, gotcha. so that kind of idea. Um, so anyway, that's that's a novel I'm working on. <laughs> 
have you have you been published before as far uh, in a longer form at all or is this like your first t- attempt this is my first attempt i never had a novel in me and this idea i've been sitting with for like at least 10 years and i started writing it in different forms at first i thought it was going to be a graphic novel but it's not something i would be able to draw myself and i didn't want to be hindered by uh trying to find someone to draw it and you know chain them to a desk to doing it and then i thought screenplay because i started getting into writing screenplays and i'm working on a couple of screenplays as well and then at some point i just started writing in this character voice i was like oh okay this is this wants to be a novel so this is the furthest i've gotten in the idea right on um i think it's very cool that i actually i took when tom was doing the uh sketch class mm-hmm. that was really I mean I guess I did take one kind of playwriting class in grad school but I never really had that experience of writing dialogue and, mm-hmm. and things like that so I would actually say that taking Tom's sketch comedy class mm-hmm. taught me a lot about writing and like oh I can do these different voices and characters and make it work Yeah, which I think is you know, like I mean, obviously a positive. I haven't really done much with it, but I mean, yeah, having that experience, I think, was very valuable in in my writing as far as for the screen or what have you. Yeah, I mean, I love dialogue and I love the way different people speak. And so this this novel I'm writing it, it's all dialogue. It's all first person, so it, it applies to that. Yeah. Very cool. Um, man, <laughs> sounds like we have a lot in common. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like uh, we've been talking for about 40 minutes, believe it or All not. Right. <laughs> Can you believe it? Sure. Um, but uh, we're two geeks. Right. We're geeking Seriously, out. About words. <laughs> about words. Words and accents. Yeah. Stories. Yeah. And what jazzes you about stories? Stories just. <sighs> I, escapism is necessary. I do a lot of things that are based on the idea of escapism. Right? I was a like I said, I was a latchkey kid. I wasn't very social. I needed these portals into other places where I had I felt I had more control. So I would write stories. I would write plays. And now I write novels and screenplays. And I do ridiculous accents and characters <laughs> on stage. And I try to I tend to play people that are very different from myself because I need that. Right. I need that vacation for myself though my life I'm very happy it's not like oh the shitty life <laughs> let me go on stage and play a Russian no um, <laughs> I'm actually very blessed uh, hashtag blessed uh, in my life right now so that's good that's awesome man um, I can kind of relate to that too I, I was somewhat the same and but I grew up in like rural Texas so we had like space huge space and land that you could just roam around in and I think mm-hmm. that environment really like you could kind of let your imagination just run wild with you know what I mean because it's like you're in it it's like mm-hmm. we didn't have the arcade or you know what I mean you where were really, you what what city in Texas uh, what town? it's actually Flat Flatonia Texas man Flatonia Flatonia wow that's like an hour and a half southeast of Austin wow that's <laughs> like that's like a parody name <laughs> Of a small right? town of like, we want to convey that it's flat, <laughs> but people think 
Yeah, this is the place to be. So Flatonia. <laughs> it's like trying to spin the fact that there's nothing. <laughs> it's like such a parody name of right? a Texas town. Seriously. But it's like, the, I mean, it, seriously, it's like the whole like Friday Night Lights kind of thing. Uh-huh. That's really Really what, big football town. Oh, yeah. That's what it was like. What was the name of your team? Uh, we were the the Bulldogs. The Flatonia Bulldogs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I played a couple of years. I, play, I played some sports in high school, too. So, yeah. yeah. What I wonder is, like, I feel like that's not the only team that I've heard named the Bulldogs. <laughs> I'm sure that, like, every state oh, man. has at least one Bulldogs team. Oh, at least probably a hundred. I but, mean, it's always, like, the the Hornets... The Cougars, the Lions, mm, the, the Bears. Yeah, you know there's I mean? only the so many names. The Indians, right? The Warriors, the exactly. whatever. Right? There's only so many names, but they do, they're they not... Well, oh, yeah, a few towns over, there's another Bulldogs right. team or anything like that. Yeah, there was a... Actually, there... Let's see, there was like... There's a small town like Bartlett that's... The Bartlett know, Bulldogs? Yeah, they're the Bartlett Bulldogs. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> That alliteration, they love that. Yeah, so. <laughs> sure. I don't know what the fl- what the Flatonia Flounders. No, <laughs> right. I don't know what you would have that word, the Flatonia Flamingos. But uh, yeah, I'd love to see a Bulldogs versus Bulldogs. <laughs> I don't. I don't like. I can't watch sports. I don't. I'm, it doesn't maintain my attention because I'm a story guy. Right. And uh, are you a sports guy? I'm definitely not as big as I used to be into it, but I definitely grew up. I mean, football was kind of like the thing, you know what I mean? It's kind of mm-hmm. like that was your identity right? from, like, kindergarten up, man. I mean, as soon as I – I was always throwing the football with my uncle or right. whomever I could. It was That was an obsession of mine. Yeah, I didn't have much time with my dad, so we didn't do sports or anything like that. And watching sports, like – the story wouldn't change, doesn't change exactly, enough right? to maintain exactly. my attention. Unless you go really deep into sports. Like, the the real story of sports is in the comebacks, the streaks, the trades. But that requires too much of an investment for me. I like my movies. They're two hours. They're done. <laughs> you know, my TV shows, it's half an hour to an hour and then wait till next week, et cetera, et cetera. Sports is too much of an investment for the type of story that you really want from sports. It's kind of that myth of Sifius, though, too, because it's or Sisyphus. Sisyphus, because you're. It's like every year you st- you know what I mean. Even if you win the championship, it's like well next year well, and then it resets. Then it resets. So it's kind of like there's no real you know what I mean. It's just going to keep resetting and resetting and resetting. So uh-huh. it's like I want. I don't know. There's something about the finality that I enjoy of stories right of different types of stories and even that's kind of one thing going back to comics it's like when it's those kind of ongoing series mm-hmm. you know what i mean like your supermans your batmans it's hard for me to get into those because there's no closure of the story i really prefer the kind of the one-shot stories mm-hmm. so much more because it's like there's that finite you know what i mean there are consequences the consequences are real and you right. don't just to get to wipe the board out right. later on yeah so i have to say like i'm <laughs> i'm curious can you are are people going to hear all the noises from the background of uh, where we are should we point it we're at the institution <laughs> we theater are right now we it are. sounds <laughs> like we're in a madhouse like i'm staying focused on the conversation but every once in a while i'm hearing like crazy <laughs> screaming 
from the rehearsal happening in the other room and all that stuff. But it's like, so if people thought we were in an insane asylum, right. we are, but it's the institution theater. <laughs> That's why it's the institution. You know, right. We call our interns inmates here. <laughs> we very much embrace, we're an island of misfit toys at this theater. And okay, so if anybody was curious about the noises in the back, where the fuck are they? That's that's where we are, the institution theater. I'm glad that you went meta there because <laughs> I think it helps. But yeah, uh, actually, it's not that hard to edit that kind of that oh, stuff out. Well, great. To, I mean, to some degree, right? It'll be pretty listenable once once I'm done. So all right. Well, just in case, <laughs> there's that little disclaimer of don't worry about us. We're in a safe space, right? In the middle of a <laughs> theatrical madhouse. Tell me a little bit about, we'll kind of shift gears a little bit from, from stories and sure. talk a little bit of, I want to hear a little bit about the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival that you're involved with, and I want to also give you, you know, opportunity to promote that. Oh, Not that my audience reaches, you know, vast or anything, but. Well, you know, it all helps. Uh, the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival is a seven-day festival that happens over Labor Day weekend, so it's going to start August 29th and run through September 4th. And we have sketch, improv, stand-up, various other variety acts from all over. We have people coming from all over the country, Chicago, San Francisco, New York, uh, Los Angeles. We have some people coming from Vancouver. We have some uh, acts coming from Poland and England. Um, and it's been, I think this is the 16th year, perhaps, and... I first, I first found out about the festival in 2006. I came to I came to Austin, and I moved here six months later because of it, because I loved the community and the festival so much uh, that it hooked. Me. And then I became the education director for the festival, so I'm responsible for all the workshops that get put together. And now I'm a, an assistant produ I guess assistant producer on the festival for the first year and uh yeah it's gonna be exciting it's gonna be fun it's more of a grassroots festival than your moon tower this is more of a new voices doing really interesting stuff kind of thing oh well here's people that you've seen on comedy central right like, do hbo specials yeah we don't have that kind of checkbook um so we're trying to be smarter with our money reach out to as wide and diverse a roster as possible. And I think we've done that. We've got a lot of really interesting acts coming out. Very cool. Have you ever done any stand-up? I've done stand-up four times. <laughs> How did that go? It all went well. I mean, I did it here in the theater, so it was a supportive audience. And I like, I like writing jokes, but I don't know that I like telling jokes. <laughs> I would love to write jokes for other people. There's something... And I, I guess I just haven't done it enough, but, like, I didn't get into a real rhythm. Sometimes I would forget to connect with the audience because I'm so caught up in the jokes. So it, I don't think it's for me. I like give and take. I like collaboration. And um, I haven't found how to do that in stand-up yet, though it's totally possible to do that. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I, I just stopped. I mean, I've got so many other artistic right. endeavors. It's like, yeah, I, I don't need to do stand-up, too. <laughs> On top of it, right? 
though sometimes I'm inspired when I watch others like some of my stand-up friends when I watch them it's like ooh that's like makes me want to do it again like when I was a kid I would read a really good comic book and then I would want to make my own comic book or I see a really good movie and I want to make my own movie so like I get a little bit of that I have a little bit of chameleon syndrome about me of like yeah sure it could be a stand-up for a little bit but I gotta keep that in check it's like no finish that novel I will talk about stand-up or finish that screenplay that you interrupted to write this novel like I've got half a screenplay <laughs> and the first two chapters of a novel. Uh, man, it's like looking into a mirror over here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because, you know, I love stories and I love creativity, but, like, once I've imagined it, like, sometimes it becomes so tedious to then try to translate it for other people to understand. Like, I fully envisioned this whole thing, this whole world. But now I've got to convey it to you, <laughs> and then fuck, you know, and it becomes With words. And that's that's one of the things that, that drew me to improv. It's like, no, I don't need to do that. Like, we're all going to be in this moment together. We're going to share the space that's never going to exist any anymore. It's this disposable art form. We made this wonderful play, and I don't care that it wasn't written down. I don't care that it wasn't recorded. Like, because I don't think it would be as beneficial to watch after the fact or read after the fact. There's something about all of us, like Tom Booker, who owns the Institution Theater, says we're, we've created like a 60-person community in this theater right now, and we all have this one hour in common, and there's something really spiritually fulfilling about that of like this story like the way stories used to be way back when you know when it was just the oral tradition of that's what the story was it was about us connecting in this moment right um and and so yeah that's why improv has always attracted me and sometimes it's like Improv has made it harder for me to write. <laughs> Writing got me into improv, <laughs> and now improv has made it harder for me to write. When you are, when you are writing, do you or whenever creativity strikes you, do you? I, I have this thing where I could, like you're saying, I actually, I visualize, I can see it in my head. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I can see exactly what I want mm-hmm. on screen, for example, in my head. Right. Is it, what what's it like for you? I'm just kind of <laughs> what's it like for other people? Do you have this kind of disassociated ability to just kind of project this other world? I have flashes of images that'll kind of stay with. Like I said, I'll, I'll carry an idea around in my head for almost ten years before I start writing it down because it exists in this flip book of images that just. I'll cycle through, and those those images might include little snippets of dialogue, or little things that someone would say, uh, that kind of really express something vital, or explore something interesting, and so that'll be part of that flip book. Um, but yeah, that's that's the way it does until I finally write the flip book down, and then <laughs> I can move on to the next flip book. You know what sucks is when you can't draw at all. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like my handwriting alone. Like, I'm lucky people can fucking read my handwriting. Don't look, don't look no, at those No, I can notes. read your handwriting. I'm really good at chicken scratch. <laughs> I've seen far worse than yours, and I've had to decipher it. That's the kind of challenge I face. It's like, I've got this perfect image in my head, but I can't fucking draw it. 
-hmm. luckily i mean i guess with luckily with digital technology it's like i can find a picture and i can manipulate it enough right. to really can communicate that over but otherwise like you're like we were talking about earlier it's like when you're working with that auteur like how do you translate that shit right. you know what i mean so do you have like a comic book in you that wants to come out that you're cock blocking yourself <laughs> i don't know if i've got a comic book i've thought what about would you it. need to draw uh, i mean I, even just you know, I guess that's true. It's like, I really don't even need to draw, especially if like with film wise, if I'm shooting it myself, but I guess that's true. It's like, I don't, I don't really need to fucking draw. Yeah. What do you need to draw? <laughs> I mean, for a storyboard, you can do stick figures. Who, who cares? Right. It's not the final product, but it'd be, it'd be nice to have that ability. I could be like, Oh, oh sure. Is, I mean, every ability would be nice. It would be <laughs> nice if we all lived in the matrix and could download <laughs> how to learn a, how to fly a helicopter right. or oh no kung fu you know all that stuff that would be great that's that's possibly in the future where you know we get that chip embedded and then all of a sudden <laughs> we can do things we didn't know how to do before um sure i mean i would love to be a musician i would love to be able to play guitar but that's not gonna happen um it's funny that you mentioned that because i feel like I, I you, you might have guessed this, but I kind of try to dress like I'm in the Matrix a little bit. Oh, <laughs> well, well, you're in black. Got the, got some tech runners on here, man. Check those out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was noticing those before. Those are very interesting uh, type of shoe. But yeah, so it's like I even like to tell a story with, with fashion is kind of another el element of storytelling that I'm kind of into. Mm -hmm. And uh, really like Blade Runner, actually. Mm -hmm. It's something that really inspired me and, man, a couple of, like, post-apocalyptic stories like that mm -hmm. and um, even, like, a Nine Inch Nails album, Year Zero. It was mm -hmm. kind of like a concept album right. that Trent Reznor put out in, like, I think 2006. But that was kind of the vibe, was this kind of post-apocalyptic yeah. society. One of the things I really appreciate about Legion is the costuming and this kind of reference to 60s mod culture and there's very clear references to the TV show The Prisoner if you're familiar with that I'm not familiar with Patrick with that. McEwen but I definitely read I literally I'm a I'm a big redditor uh -huh. so I'm definitely on I'm on that subreddit right for Legion yeah and my girlfriend is a uh, costumer oh, for cool. Ballet Austin and uh, she's designed for other shows as well around town and so she has an eye for fashion and it's interesting when we watch a show together like Mad Men, which has a very heavy fashion component in it, and she would point out things to me of like how the clothes are telling the story of the character as well in ways that I didn't realize. It's like, wow. That's interesting, for sure. You know, the fact that she keeps going back to that color says something uh, about her. When Christina Hendricks is, has a meeting that she doesn't want to have, you'll see in Mad Men, she's always dressed in these horrible floral prints. Like, they look like dead flowers, <laughs> right? And that shows how she feels about this meeting that she has to be in and these people she has to deal with. And so the idea that the, the costuming reflects that inner monologue in that way, I was like, oh, wow, that's something that I needed my eyes open to. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, those sort of, I mean, those like, you know, blue is kind of cold and dead and it's like mm -hmm. those and even like i mentioned blade runner like so much of blade runner is heavy blue mm -hmm. 
which is really it gives it that kind of you know like techie feel like these androids are running around you know what I mean? it's mm-hmm. kind of like this cold lifeless artificial mm-hmm. sort of feeling to it right but you also got me thinking back to you were mentioning movies that kind of had something to them but didn't quite get there right. that should be remade and I think one of the best examples I got a better example for you okay that that's actually being remade is Dune were you ever into Dune at all no I did not read the Frank Herbert series <laughs> I did not watch the movie um who's remaking Dune Denny Villeneuve oh really yeah okay that could be real if, especially if they do it right I think that could be really cool the movie is so I mean it's the art direction and the costumes are mm-hmm. fucking outstanding yeah some of the special effects don't really hold up and so much of the novel is this inner monologue mm-hmm. and they tried to do voiceover in the film and it didn't quite work and it was kind, kind of this mess that's like if you haven't yeah. read the book you probably are going to have a hard time figuring out what the fuck's going on to be honest right. but man you know the what? look of it yeah. is incredible. You know one of the things that I love about like Edgar Wright and Wes Anderson? They don't have fucking voiceovers <laughs> of the characters. It's very different. The Royal Tenenbaums has the Alec Baldwin voiceover, but because he's setting this up as if it's like some sort of storybook family, so right. it makes sense. But otherwise, um, yeah, it's not... I hate movies that they start with the the main character talking philosophically about things, right? So we understand the themes as, a, as opposed to showing us the themes and what they do. And right. Edgar Wright especially show, don't tell. really knows how to show things in, uh, in the subtlest of ways. And Wes Anderson really knows how to show things. Um, even though he has the narrators and stuff, the narrators add this other different storybook element and uh, that goes with his visual style. I love how he he always he always shoots parallel to the uh, back wall. You know, it gives everything this very diorama-like feeling. It's like we're watching a series of dioramas go by that explore this person's life. Especially see that Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore and stuff like that, where you see all of the room to the screen. Um, but yeah, I feel like Hollywood leans too heavily on this opening voiceover to set everything up kind of thing, as opposed to, no, just show us the character in its natural habitat and trust us to understand what we want to understand, right? Tell a visual story as opposed to explaining everything to us god (laughs) we've gotten so dumb right have you speaking of you actually have you seen dunkirk not yet yet. it's on the list it's it's something totally different than i expected Uh uh-huh but it's almost i mean it's not a silent film but Mm -hmm. it's almost super silent and there's so little like it opens up without with very little dialogue. Yeah. And there's very little dialogue throughout the whole movie, and it's mostly just visual storytelling. We're in a really good era of film, right? Is it? Is, or am I misguided? I mean, <laughs> I mean there's I, so many, like, Baby Driver was amazing, and Big Sick was amazing, and uh, I'm really excited to see Dunkirk and Atomic Blonde and all these 
you know, and even some of the superhero films, Wonder Woman was really awesome and, and doing some different things. A lot of getting back, like in the 70s when you had auteur-driven movies, I feel like we're getting some auteur-driven movies now. You know, your Edgar Wrights, your Catherine Bigelow's, Detroit looks really intense. Um, uh, things like that. Uh, that I don't think we had since the 70s. You know, that new renaissance. And you had movies like The, the Conversation, and you had your Coppola's, and uh, uh, your, your um, uh, Godard's, and all that stuff going on. Um, I feel like we're in a really good era of film, and we're also in a really good era of TV. Yeah, oh man. TV, to me, is just, it's taking that the storytelling that you would see because I feel, kind of feel like a little bit the opposite um, in that a lot of the films that are getting made now and are very like corporatized like they're very sanitized mm. it's like kind of this uh, focus group <laughs> focus group movies mm-hmm. now you do have guy, you know what I mean you have your Christopher Nolans and uh, people like the Coen brothers that are those auteurs that uh, are just yeah. you know doing their thing but like the average movie, it's kind of like there's a there's kind of a category of movie that just doesn't get made anymore. Which is? Okay, have you seen like a Michael Clayton? Kind of like a mid-tier, like it's not a super, you know what I mean? It's not like a... a dr- like just that uh, dramatic... Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. You had... What was that movie, The Tank, that was trying to recapture that? Miss Sloan with Jessica Chastain was trying to capture that. didn't do well, even though it had all the signs that it was like, oh, going to revive. Yeah, because it's like you get get the giant blockbusters like the MCU stuff, the DC stuff, Mm -hmm. and then you have some of the auteur, but there's kind of like the smaller movies Mm -hmm. aren't really there, you know what I mean? Yeah, well... Probably not lately. No, they, they, I mean, because movies are struggling, right, to get people's attention. I think this year, box office has gone up, but for a while it was declining or not rising very much because they're fighting with Netflix and fighting with all these other right. ways to watch movies that people don't necessarily want to pay the 15 bucks to go see it, sit in a movie theater with people who are horrible people, <laughs> you know. Like, that's why I love the Alamo Draft House. They really cherish the movie-going experience at the end. Why, why the fuck are you texting? Why do you need to be <laughs> right. on the phone? You can't, like, nothing is that important that you can't put it away for two hours. That's all it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's why I can't go to movies outside the con every once in a while. Like, if I go to another city... And I have to see a movie because that's the plan. Oh, God, it's always just a slap-in-the-face moment. Like, oh, again, there's people talking, people on their phones and all this shit. It's like, why did you pay $15 to do this? (laughs) Right? That's just the culture now. It's like, I even find myself like, I've got to make a concerted effort to not look at the fucking phone. Right. Not, I mean, not at a movie, but just in general. Just like sitting it, it's like constant, constant. You know yeah. what I mean? In your face all the time. Um, actually, I've kind of stepped out of the draft house world and because 
there's some of the theaters what they're doing now is these electronic recliners oh man <laughs> i'm gonna fall asleep <laughs> right yeah i actually did i fell asleep during wonder woman oh. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago i mean i just like straight passed out well, there's a part in the middle where it's okay <laughs> to fall asleep there um but uh yeah I, I i can yeah if i'm too comfortable i'm gonna fall asleep <laughs> The, the movie's going to soothe me to sleep right away. Uh, I've fallen asleep during a number of movies. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I prefer the sanctity of the experience or the comfort of the right. chair. The Westgate Theater. Mm-hmm. Man, they have those recliners, and it's nice. Mm-hmm. It's real nice. You can kind of just, like, kick your feet up. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. It's like, oh, you like being at home watching movies. Well... We'll make our movie theater more like home, better than your home. I understand that tag. It's, yeah, it's kind of like the pressure too to keep up with the Alamo Draft House because I think that model has just blown up. Like, there's so many yeah. variations of it out there now, right. and they've expanded. And I've got there was a place I went. I went to visit my mother in Miami, and there was a place there with the full reclining chairs and full menu, and all this stuff. Um. And it was expensive. Oh my god! I think we paid fifty dollars for plus for everything. But yeah, but there was this one family over there. They're talking, and no one's gonna shut them up. <laughs> and they've got their kids, and the kids are on the phones, and we're watching this dramatic movie, right? And it's like, god damn it! So if you have all those other bells and whistles, it doesn't matter if in the end you can't actually watch and enjoy the movie, right? All of this is supposed to enhance the movie experience. <laughs> Otherwise, go to a fucking coffee shop and look at your phones all you want. <laughs> right. And talk about whatever, whatever bullshit you want. <laughs> oh, I hate people. <laughs> it's amazing. I love individuals. I hate people. Oh, and, I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and I, the things that make me hate people most are whenever I'm traveling, because airports are horrible places that have thrown us all together um, and elevated our desperation to get there and uh, on the road similarly driving oh driving especially, especially in this Austin. town right? oh, no. <laughs> Austin drivers suck like lanes are, are apparently just a suggestion <laughs> right Signaling is optional. Um, texting apparently can't wait. <laughs> yeah, Austin drivers horrible, and yeah, just it rankles. Ugh, rankles my my yeah, fiber of my being. Ah, anyway, <laughs> so we talked about wonderful things and we talked about horrible things. Right. Um, Where do we go from there, Cooper? Right. We should finish up on a positive note because I know Let's. we're. we're coming out we're coming up to about an hour and i don't want to you know take up too much of your evening but i'm trying to think damn what what do we have to be positive about your uh the comedy festival i mean that sounds awesome that does sound awesome it is awesome uh well uh i uh well i'll 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 end with a very my girlfriend i will i love (laughs) my girlfriend emily (laughs) and um I think my relationship right now is the best relationship I've ever had, and I think part of it is because of what I've learned from improv. 
um, I've applied, I've, I've, I've found ways to apply improv to the way I live my life that's made me much happier, right? Um, because improv, one of the things that I teach a lot in improv is play your side of the scene. It's very easy when you're stepping into that void that's the stage of like, oh, we've got to create things. We've got to figure out where we are. We've got to figure out who we are. We've got to figure out what's going on to get very anxious and just start like slapdash painting everything around you. Um, and so I say, play your side of the scene. Just what you know. What do you realize? If all I know is you're standing three feet away from me, like, I will make something of that. Just like, uh, I feel kind of distant from you right now. <laughs> or I feel like the way you're looking at me is is kind of, is a little judgmental. Or whatever the case may be. Cooper isn't looking at me. Sort of judgmental <laughs> I'm fucking right. judging the shit out of you right now. <laughs> but just play your side of the scene. As opposed to, there are a lot of knee-jerk moves that improvisers make of wanting to control the other side of the scene. One of the things they do is try to make the other person wrong, or tell them what to do, or try to lay out a lot of exposition so we understand where we are, so we can all be on the same page, and then figure out what the story is. No, right now the story is, we're standing three feet away from each other and looking at each other. What does that mean to us? And just unpack that. And so I've kind of applied that to my relationships in that I'm not going to try to control you. I'm not going to try to change you. I'm going to express myself. I'm going to give you as much room to express yourself. And I'm going to trust that that Venn diagram of you and me is going to overlap nicely. And it really has. Emily is wonderful in that regard. And I feel like we have uh, the most collaborative relationship I've ever had in my life. That's awesome, man. Improv. <laughs> Come take classes at the Institution Theater, <laughs> and I will teach you how to improvise and how to be in better relationships. <laughs> right. I think something that you, you know, that kind of speaks to me about something that a lot of people aren't capable of or find difficult is, like, existing in that moment right now, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the imp cool dynamic about improv that you're mm -hmm. getting at is, like, it, what's happening now don't yeah. not don't be worried about the past or the future like we're existing now yeah so yeah uh, another thing I tell my students a lot is don't worry about what next just tell me what else right because what next is focusing on what we don't know yet what lies ahead and usually we associate fear with what lies ahead that unknown focus more on what next what else uh, what else do you know about this Right? If you've decided you're an old person sitting on a porch, well, what else about that? Oh, it's daytime. Oh, great. What else about that? Oh, there's this beautiful little breeze blowing through. What else about that? Right? That's very common. Great. I mean, that's plenty to know, especially in the first 30 seconds of a scene. People think, oh, I need to know more than that. Otherwise, my partner is not going to be able to support. No, he's going to do just fine. Right? play your side of the scene and explore that and share that with the other person. That's going to help that person know more how to play with you, right? Because that's ultimately what we're doing on stage and what we're doing in life. We're spotlighting things about each other. And we did, a spotlight is precise. It doesn't have to capture it all, right? That's another way in which I think very cinematically about my improv. I think about where the camera is on stage in every moment, you know? 
at some points I'm going to look out, I'm going to widen the lens, and I'm going to look at the space that we're in together and connect to that. But sometimes I'm just going to look at the, the fidgeting that your hand's doing, and I'm going to connect to that instead. Right. So it's helped me realize where, where my focus is, and it's given me better control over my life. And relationships, that's especially helpful. Because it's when we feel like we're lacking control that we then fuck up our relationships. <laughs> right. right. So there's a positive note. I like it. Uh, man, this was this was awesome. I really feel like like I kinda had no I had very little kind of scaffolding in terms of what we were gonna talk about and I Neither didn't, did I. We didn't I had even, no idea. Right, that's very true. And I didn't even I mean, it didn't even kind of fit what I was even thinking of. Like if we didn't mm. even really get much into what I had kind of like thought about, here's like kind of some fallbacks mm-hmm. that we can discuss. So I mean, we followed. We followed right. where the conversation needed to go. Right. And that I, I love. That's the funnest part about doing these is when it comes across like this. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's awesome. So I want to thank you again, man. This was. This was sure. a lot of fun. Yeah. I'd love to have you on again, man. Oh sure. We'll talk about future. other things. Let's let's get some more right. media <laughs> under our belts. Seriously. You know, and then uh, you know we should go see a movie together. Hey, I'm always And then down. podcast immediately after Ooh, that. I like that idea. That's there a great you fucking go. idea. All right. Boom. That's There's a lot next. of great movies coming up to watch, <laughs> so you know, pick awesome. one. Well, thanks again for getting schizoid with me. We're going to sign off.